Our Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together as a body and to begin to uh, have this day focused entirely on you, Lord, how we need to meditate on the word, how we need to think upon great and mighty things. And this morning here, Lord, in our little class, I pray that as we consider future events, that we would be in awe of your plan, that we would be so very thankful for the, the avoidance of the wrath of God. We would be thankful for the cross of Christ. We would be thankful for our fellowship together as a body. And we would join uh, the prayer of the Apostle John that we would pray that you would come soon, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that uh, our time this morning would bolster our faith and increase our desire to serve you and to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we begin with overview of the Great Tribulation. Um, Again, there's no positive way to do that, so we're just jumping in here. The third part, and we don't have a lot more to do, so when we're done, I am going to take five or ten minutes, and I want to address a question, and that is about the Mark of the Beast in uh, Revelation 13. So we'll address that here at the end. So let's just talk through some of the terms, first of all. Uh, The term tribulation generally uh, speaks of suffering in general in the Bible. Um, Based on scripture, it's been come to mean the the final seven year period. Now, if we want to get more precise, the term great tribulation used, it's used at least theologically speaking to speak of the last half, the three and a half years. Um, It's pretty common to mix them up and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Matthew twenty four twenty one, Jesus said, For there will be great tribulation, such as not has not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor no and never will be. Then you have, and this is just our overview of the Great Tribulation, you have the seal judgments beginning the tribulation. The second seal judgment begins the great tribulation, the second half. Revelation 6.2, this is the second seal. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So this is Antichrist coming to power peacefully. And uh, what are the seal judgments? First of all, it is the great scroll in heaven, the uh, title deed to the earth, and it is given to the Lamb of God, who is the only one worthy to open it. And he's taking seals off, as it were. And the opening of the title deed to the earth, that the earth belongs to him, is, uh, represents these judgments. The second seal judgment. Antichrist now brings war. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 3, Daniel 9.27 speaks of a wicked prince who is to come, who will make a covenant with Israel for one week, literally for seven, a, a period of seven, so that's seven years. And the second half of that time, he'll break this covenant, and he will uh, go back on his word. And then you have the term, Day of the Lord. Now, uh, we are now preaching from the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, most of the time in the Old Testament, it speaks of the day of Yahweh. But the day of the Lord now has be- become such a theological uh, moniker or nickname that that's going to stay. So we'll stick with the day of the Lord. In general, it speaks of any intervention of God in human history, including Old Testament interventions. Um, in the past, it was around God's judgment um, for apostasy. In the future, it'll be 
uh, fulfilled when God enters human history and he judges the nations, disciplines Israel, establishes the millennial kingdom and eventually remakes the heavens and the earth. So that's it's a general term as well. And I gave you some key scriptures there, I think. Did I? Yes. About the day of the Lord. But the future day of the Lord generally is more specific to the great tribulation. Broadly, the entire seven years, getting more narrow, the actual event of the second coming. First Thessalonians 5 says that this comes like a thief in the night, speaks of the destruction of the day of the Lord, the destructiveness. And Jeremiah 30 verse 7 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. And then, and I know we did some of this overview last time. I'm just kind of overlapping a little bit. Then we have the wrath of God. The wrath of God. This is used specifically in the tribulation period. And this is an important theological distinction for us because one of the reasons that we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture is that it is the wrath of God poured out on earth. And we won't be part of the wrath of God. First Thessalonians 1.10, Revelation 11.18, Revelation 6.16 and 17. Wrath of God. And then you have the, the idea of the 70th week of Daniel from Daniel 9, 24 through 27. This relates this seven-year time period specifically to Israel. It's identified as seven years, and Daniel 9 breaks it down into two, three-and-a-half-year periods, which also happens in Revelation 12, 14, 11, 2, 13, 5, 11, 3, 12, 6. All of those speak of seven years divided into two halves, so three-and-a-half years each. So that's just kind of a broad overview. If you want to get the details, simply read from Revelation uh, 6 through 19. And you get the broad details, or really 18, and you see what's happening in in that time of great tribulation. Then we have some key personalities. You have Antichrist. He's sort of the main character of the great tribulation. He's called in 1 John 2.18, Antichrist. He's called in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 and 4, the man of lawlessness. He's called the beast in Revelation 13 and 17. He's called the little horn in Daniel 7, verse 8. So he has a number of names. Uh, His career, I just put a little, kind of some bullet points here. Beginning at the Great Tribulation, he is the, he's the leader of a Western nation. We don't know which one, but Daniel 7, verse 8 seems to make that clear. He is a prince who is to come, Daniel 9, 26. He'll sign a covenant with Israel, Daniel 9, 27. He'll begin to conquer other nations, first um, through peace, through um, diplomacy, by creating a, a union. He'll become a world leader through Israel and a ten-power union. Uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27 speaks of this. Or Daniel 7, 24 through 27, rather. Um, and apparently, he is assassinated, or seems to be assassinated, near the midpoint of the tribulation, but he is restored to life. He either fakes his death or he mocks the power of God. And because of this, he now becomes an object of worship, beginning in Revelation 13. And so the Antichrist, the, the un-Christ, even tries to imitate Christ. Um, and his false prophet is said to have brought him back to life. Um, only God can give life. And so we would, we would think probably that's some sort, of, um, some sort of fake or mock death at some level. 
He breaks his covenant with Israel, Daniel 9.27. And for three and a half years, he rules as dictator of the world. Now he's not a peaceful ruler. We said this last time, that, that men with great, tremendous, unlimited power always end up abusing it 100% of the time. And so that's, of course, what he'll do. He persecutes Jews mercilessly during the three and a half years. Revelation 12 says this. He destroys the apostate church. And this is, this is interesting because during the first three and a half years, a world religion will develop. Um, some think it's uh, the, the Roman Catholic religion because they're already, uh, they already have a worldwide following and so forth. But there will be some sort of apostate Christianity. And now Antichrist will destroy even that. In favor of his own worship, Revelation 17. But he'll be defeated by Christ at the end of the tribulation. He'll be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 19:20. So that's the that is Antichrist. Uh, as as one high school student said, uh, that's a scary dude, <laughs> and he is. <clears throat> you have another character, the false prophet. He's sometimes called the second beast. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Uh, we have, see him in Revelation 16, 13, 19, 20, and 2010. He is a follower of the first beast. And he is some sort of religious leader. He seems to have the ability to work miracles. Um, just like the, the, the wise men of Egypt worked uh, miracles by demonic power, competing with Moses. So this man will work miracles by demonic power. His power comes from Satan. His authority will be delegated to him from the Antichrist. Now, I didn't list it in here. I'm not sure why exactly, but um, a, a third key personality that's not on the slide is Satan called the dragon, the serpent of old. And so what do you have? You have Antichrist, who is uh, very much the opposite of Christ. You have the false prophet and you have Satan. And so what you have here is a, is a, is a false trinity. You have an evil, wicked trinity. Um, they're not, uh, they're, everything they do is against God. And you have the 144,000. Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. What do we know about them? They are Jewish people, um, Jewish men. They are bond servants of God, slaves of God. They are sealed. This implies security and protection. Um, many would say that, well, that means they're in heaven already. Um, I wouldn't see it that way. I would see them still on earth. And they are evangelists and missionaries. They are the ones spreading the gospel. Um, Matthew twenty four fourteen seems to indicate a great spread of the gospel during the during the great tribulation. And this is the text in which in Matthew twenty four and twenty five, when Jesus says that he won't return until every tribe, tongue, and nation has heard the word of God, has heard the gospel. That will happen during the great tribulation, not during the church age. Uh, we said this last time. We anticipate that the rapture can be any time. We take no we take no comfort or no delay from saying that well, the gospel hasn't reached every tribe, tongue, and nation, so Christ can't return yet. That's not speaking of our age. That's speaking of the great tribulation. Then you have the two witnesses. They're kind of, other than Jesus, kind of my favorite characters in the, in the Great Tribulation. 
Um, they have this, in Revelation 11, they have an amazing ability to work powerful miracles. They're centered in Jerusalem to preach repentance. Their ministry lasts for three and a half years. There's a debate as to whether it's the, the first half uh, of the last three, uh, first half of the tribulation or the last half. I lean heavily toward the last half because of things that are happening in Jerusalem. And what's, what I love about these two witnesses is as you read about their ministry, they have a lot of similarities to Elijah and Moses. And there are significant reasons to believe they might actually be Elijah and Moses returned to the earth to uh, fulfill a mission for God. So uh, can't prove that, but the, the evidence is pretty strong, actually. And then you have, let's see here. I missed a slide. Sorry about that. <clears throat> mark that in here. So there's the two witnesses. Then you have the judgments of the tribulation. The, the sealed judgments. The broken seals. Revelation 5, uh, 6, 1 rather, through, five, through 8, 1. The seventh seal reveals the next set of judgments. So uh, basically, the seventh seal, you open it and it's seven more judgments. That's what the seventh seal is. The, the trumpet judgments are, are more severe than the seal judgments. And you can just track them as you go. And then the bowl judgments, um, which are poured out during the seventh trumpet, the bowl judgments, this is the poured out wrath of God. And, and now during the bowl judgments, these begin in Revelation 16. These seem to just come one after another after another, right at the end of the great tribulation. And so there's a, a definite sense of acceleration, a definite sense of uh, crescendo to these judgments. Now, I noted here... Uh, a disputed set of judgments, the thunder judgments. They're not given any detail like the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments, but Revelation 10, beginning in verse 3, <clears throat> says, And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. In other words, just like the seal, the trumpet, and bowl judgments, the Apostle John was about to write down what's, being, what's happening like he had done with the others. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So I take those as thunder judgments. Um, doesn't make any difference, but we do know that John was about to write it down and the Lord said no. Now here's where we get to a, a really exciting idea. And that is salvation in the Great Tribulation. <clears throat> First of all, salvation for the Jews. We have the 144,000 saved and sealed. So that's the, that's the seedbed from which God will save many others. You have Jews who flee into the wilderness. In Revelation 12, verse 6, you have the remnant in the land. Revelation 12, 17. Zechariah 12, 10 speaks of the final salvation of the Jews saved right at the end of the Great Tribulation. They look on him whom they have pierced and they mourn as one mourns for a son that, you, that you've lost. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 says that during this time, one-third of Israel will be saved, meaning one-third of the Jews will, uh, will come to faith, uh, or at the very least, they will be saved physically, because we know that uh, rebellious Jews will then be judged and killed. Uh, Ezekiel 20, 33-34, Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, and Matthew 25, 1-3, the uh, parable of the ten virgins. So... 
Now, what will, the end result of this is that all the Jews who enter into the millennial kingdom, to the kingdom of Christ on earth, every one of them are saved. And now this is uh, the fulfillment of Romans eleven twenty six. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. So when, when Romans eleven twenty six says all Israel will be saved, that doesn't mean every person who's ever been physically descended from Abraham. Israel is no longer defined as people descended from Abraham. Israel is defined as people descended from Abraham who have worshipped Christ and who have come to faith in Christ. That's why Romans 9, 6 says that not all who are of Israel are Israel. So we've said this before. Remember the big circle that's all Israelites and then the little circle are the saved ones. That's true Israel. And so that will come to fruition at the end of the Great Tribulation. And what about the great numbers of Gentiles saved in the tribulation? We have Revelation 6, 9, the souls of tribulation martyrs. This is the fifth seal being opened, and they're, they're in heaven crying out for justice. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 speaks of unnumbered martyrs, a multitude too big to count. And these are, these are not all Jews. These are Gentiles. You have in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, rebellious Gentiles are judged and killed. Um, that is the, the sheep and goat judgment. So salvation in the uh, tribulation will be tremendous. It'll be at a level. And, and you know, this is always the case. Um, great and tremendous, horrible things happening on earth either drive people away from the cross or to the cross. And we had a little tiny taste of that during COVID, didn't we? Um, and you could track this with various churches. Churches generally speaking, that decided to worship the government rather than to worship Christ, um, shrank or died. Churches that said, we will worship Christ, um, people began coming to faith in Christ. I've read more stories now of just countless uh, salvations um, because of COVID. Because either people ran further from the cross or they ran to the cross because there was that sense of, oh no, the end of the world is happening. Um, I think that during the Great Tribulation, if anybody remembered COVID, they would think of them as the good old days um, compared to what's happening then. So let me deal with, with one last issue. Now we have a little bit of time. And that is the issue uh, that, that for some reason is a... A real, a real hot button. I never knew it was a hot button. I just preached it a number of years ago. And um, that is the issue of the fact that beginning in Revelation 13, you have unbelievers now given a choice that they must receive the mark of the beast or they can't participate in the world's economy. They can't participate in the world. And let me read that text to you. And that is in Revelation 13, in verse 16. We're at the three and a half year mark of the Great Tribulation here. Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves that they be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead and that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name 
Here is wisdom. Let him who, underst- who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Now, um, just a little side note about that. Uh, the idea of the number 666 has been the subject of some of the worst hermeneutics in the history of the world. Um, ironically, there's actually a lot of um, pretty reliable New Testament Greek texts that uh, say it's number 616, which kind of takes all the air out of it. You know, um, I, it's funny, Sylvia and I, our driver's licenses when we were living in Texas both ended with 666. So we were like, oh no, you know, what's, what's happening? But it said that to calculate the number of the beast. Now, that doesn't mean to figure out what the number 666 means. If the Bible wanted us to know, it would be there. Um, what it means is choose carefully whom you were going to serve. Uh, you're going to make a calculation as a, as a person in the tribulation. You now have a choice. You can worship Christ or you can do what the governing authorities tell you to do and follow them wholeheartedly, including worshiping Antichrist. And, you know, before 2020, we couldn't conceive of any situation in which the entire world would be told, you must do something or you can't work, you can't receive a paycheck, uh, you have to lose your job, you can't uh, come into a store, you can't buy and sell. And that was the vaccine for COVID, right? We, we couldn't have conceived of that. And, and now we can. Now we go, oh, that can happen. Even over something as simple as a, as a vaccine, now there will be a situation where people receive the mark so that they may buy and sell, so that they may worship the beast. So here is the question. Will it be possible for those with the mark of the beast to be saved? Can they come to faith in Christ? And I think we have to be really clear. These are people committing the horrible sin of willfully choosing obedience and allegiance and worship of Antichrist. Can they still be saved? I think the answer will surprise you. Because my answer is yes, they can be. I want to give you five reasons that they can. There's evidence for this. Um, The first evidence, first reason, the, the fifth seal of Revelation 6, we see the souls of tribulation martyrs. We're told, and this is, this is at the three and a half year point. This is when people are receiving the mark of the beast on the earth. And listen carefully, we're told to wait patiently until more people on earth would believe and be killed. That's what they're told. More will be killed. This is happening at the three and a half year mark forward. So more are going to be killed. Now, that's not perfect evidence in and of itself because we you could say well that's those, those martyrs are just all the people who refuse to take the mark that's true that could be but at least we know that people are dying for their faith for standing for Christ um, at, after the three and a half year mark then you have the evidence of the two witnesses of Revelation 11 they are prophesying for the last three and a half years of the tribulation when they're killed, when they're raised up from the dead after three and a half days, and when they ascend into heaven. You remember from Revelation 12 that there's an earthquake in Jerusalem, and the text says that 7,000 people, and, and the, the Greek is very clear, 7,000 named men meaning officials of Antichrist, those who are working for Antichrist, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. 
that in this earthquake, only the people who worked for Antichrist were killed. And what does it say that the rest did in Jerusalem? The rest were terrified, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. And this is these are just in the days right before Christ returns. And well, we've said this before, but in the book of Revelation, every time somebody is said to give glory to God, it always speaks of Christians. It always speaks of someone coming to faith in Christ. So giving glory to God is coming to faith. What does this mean? It means that these are Jews in Jerusalem who three and a half years earlier didn't escape, didn't run away when Revelation 12 says that that the others did. They ran. Why did they not escape? Because they were serving Antichrist. If you're serving Antichrist for the last nearly all the three and a half years of of the last half of the Great Tribulation, what do you have? You have the mark of the beast. You have taken the mark. But now they glorify God. Here's a third reason. Revelation 14, 9. Now, you might say that Revelation 14, 9 actually looks like it disproves my theory here. But if you hang with me for a minute, I think you'll see what I mean. Revelation 14, 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, and he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, it looks like that disproves my theory, but we should exegete this very carefully. The first variable is worshiping the beast. The mark is simply the result of worshiping the beast. That's the result. If you quit worshiping the beast and begin worshiping Christ, the, the mark is irrelevant. There, there are people in our church with, with tattoos that are so vile that they keep them covered up. I'm not saying that tattoos are the mark of the beast. Don't go quote me on that on Twitter. Steve Swartz says that tattoos are the mark of the beast. Um, <clears throat> but they, they have marks of their unsaved life, right? Um, a lot of you have marks, meaning like consequences of your unsaved life. But that doesn't prevent your salvation. Here's a fourth reason they can still be saved. The text of Revelation 13 and 14 never says that this is categorically an unpardonable sin. Now, someone might say, well, that's an argument from silence. That just because it doesn't say something doesn't mean that the opposite is true. But Jesus said there was only one unpardonable sin. And he listed what that was. It was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And there is a lot of evidence to show that even that, the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, was speaking very specifically of the sin of the leaders of Israel who told Jesus that you perform miracles by the spirit of Satan instead of by the Holy Spirit. That's how they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Um, And the reason that's an unpardonable sin is because those spiritual leaders were not, they were not deceived men. They knew who Christ was, and yet they blasphemed the Holy Spirit's work in Christ at the same time. So Revelation 13, 14 doesn't say it's an unpardonable sin. In fact, Revelation 19, verse 20, and this isn't even the fifth reason yet, this is just... um, Part of the the uh, the fourth reason. Good idea. We'll go ahead and read it. Revelation nineteen twenty tells us some important information. 
And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who did the signs in his presence, by which he, was, he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Those who received the mark of the beast were deceived into doing so. Right? Uh, how many people have changed their mind about a COVID stance and felt deceived, right? And I won't get into that any further. And so grace is available to them. Scripture doesn't say that they're unable automatically forever to repent. It never says that. And we have a great example of somebody who is deceived into wrongdoing and therefore was shown grace. That is the Apostle Paul himself. 1 Timothy 1.13, Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And one more reason that those who receive the mark of the beast can be saved. Any sin that is repented of is forgiven, is forgivable. Any sin that's repented of is forgivable. Jesus said, come unto me, most who are heavy laden. All who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. Listen to this. To all who call upon you. All. During these last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, my guess, and it's just a guess, is that the believer will now not only uh, be baptized publicly, but whatever the mark is, if it's possible, they may be publicly removing or covering the mark. That may be added into a baptism ceremony to say, I'm following Christ. I will not use the mark for my own benefit. So, there you go. (laughs) Those who receive the mark of the beast, I believe, will be able to be saved. And that's why uh, you have in in Revelation 4 and 5 the scene of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation singing praises to the Lord. That at that point, the gospel will have been spread everywhere. And that, that will happen even with those with the mark of the beast. I believe that. So, any questions on what we've done this morning? We're a little bit of a shorter time today, so you have a little bit of a break. So I can take a few questions.